And there were months where I was flipping houses, didn't have many wholesale deals at all. And I didn't know where the money was going to come from. All right, welcome to the Deals Today podcast. And I'm your host, Paul of realestateaudios.com. And in that website, that's where we show you exclusive interviews, audios, articles, free content on getting started in real estate, a deal generation, a whole ton of stuff, especially cash flow, how to generate passive income, which is why a lot of you are here, to generate cash flow through real estate or build a business that aids in your financial freedom. But in this interview today, we're interviewing my good friend, Jeremy Resmer. I met him in a land flipping community that I've been part of. Uh, he's still there. We were both in the same coaching program together, and he's an interesting character. We're not going to be talking about land flipping. He mentions it. We're going to be mainly talking about his wholesaling operation. He does a few other things. He flips, he rehabs, he flips land. He also buys multifamily for cash flow, and he talks about that, I believe, in part two of the interview. There are two parts to this, and most importantly, an interesting thing about this is that uh, he's only been doing this for four years, which surprises me because in the interview, it's he seems like he's running this big operation. Um, he's got people in place. He's got team members, and he's doing multiple things, running it in different avenues. I've managed people for my rehabs when I was flipping a handful of mobile homes. I've managed and hired people, VAs, for my land flipping business. I never liked it. I never liked managing people. It's not my style. It definitely is a skill set that takes time to learn. Some people are natural at it. Some people aren't. I definitely run in the latter. But here's the thing. The most important part of hiring and putting team members in place is the hiring process, getting that right from the beginning. And one of the tips I have when I was hiring people for you is have a, a strict and long hiring process. Make sure you have questions answered in detail and you hire, put the right person in place. And Jeremy in this interview, he's gonna go a lot into how he hired his people. He has a couple of international VAs and a, a few people that are here in the US, boots on the ground. He has an assistant, he has an acquisitions manager. And so he tells you some of his tips to hiring. He goes into the structure of the business. He goes into how to find deals, his formulas, his term deals, into all, how to find buyers, how to find leads, all that in this interview. So stay tuned for that. And of course, if you're looking for a free seminar done by my good friend and probably the, the one of the most well-known flippers in Southern California, Stephen McKee, check out the free seminar there. You can see the video right there on the page at realestateaudios.com slash flipping. All right, let's get to the interview. Tell me about your main bread and butter with REI. Yeah, so right now we've got a real strong uh, wholesaling business in South Carolina. So my home market is actually Nashville, and that's where I used to used to focus all my time and effort uh, as far as wholesaling and flipping. I just found myself too much involved in the business, trying to go and, and oversee these projects, work with contractors, chase down leads, and I realized I just couldn't do it anymore. And so, you know, for me to kind of get out of the business, I needed to kind of force myself out. So I started looking at another market and, you know, chose one in, in South Carolina and found boots on the ground. And uh, we've just done really, really well. And so I still do a little bit here in Nashville, but it's it's far less than I was doing, you know, let's say, I don't know, 18 months ago. And uh, 
it's been really good for me because I don't have to be involved in the flips. I don't have to go see the houses, none of it. I just, you know, I'm working with my team. I'm focusing more on the business now than, than I've ever done. And is your team doing this virtually too, or are they, are they meeting with sellers? So I have a guy on the ground who meets with sellers. Um, he also, this is one of the reasons why I love it is, is he has a, a background in commercial and residential construction. So basically it was a great match because he was, he was doing a, a rental we picked up. It was the first house we bought in South Carolina and, uh, he ended up, you know, doing the work on it. And I just really was attracted to his personality and, and the way he approached things. And so we kind of got linked up and I just told him, Hey, listen, man, do you have any interest in, in getting involved in, in meeting with sellers? Because, you know, I could tell he had what it takes and, uh, just a really solid guy. And so I taught him that aspect of the business. And so he's just been, I mean, doing fantastic ever since. So, you know, it's been a really, really good match because he also runs our flips there. So his crew, if we take down a, a good deal and we want to cherry pick, you know, he'll manage them, get them going, uh, check up on the job, you know, every week or, you know, whenever he needs to. And then as far as going on appointments, I mean, we've got him rocking and rolling on, you know, anywhere from five to 10 appointments a week. Oh, that's awesome, dude. And so what do you pay him for acquisitions? So I kind of have a, a unique model because he's doing so much of the business. Typically, you know, acquisitions managers are paid a much smaller percentage. But I actually, believe it or not, give him 40%. But he's also doing all of my flipping. I don't have to ever talk to a contractor or do anything. So uh, it actually works out in the end really, really well for everybody because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we'll do anywhere from, you know, eight to 12 flips per year and they're all high margin and I don't ever have to, to deal with a contractor. So, uh, we say, Hey, we're going to give a lot more on our wholesaling business, but we're also not having to do any of the work as far as the flipping goes. So that sort of balances itself out for us. Yeah. So he's doing the job of two people. 40% seems fair. Yeah. And he's also doing dispositions. And I mean, he's just a high capacity guy. So I would not recommend this for, you know, just someone who, you know, you're, you're trying to bring on as an acquisitions guy. I don't think the numbers would work at all. But in this case, you know, we have it structured where we've got a team who, you know, we do some of the back end stuff as far as dispositions goes, the, uh, the emails, the text blast, things like that. And then he actually will go out of the property because he's got the construction, you know, background because he, he knows kind of what's going on there. When, you know, flippers come in or buyers come in, he's able to have that conversation and say, Hey, here's exactly what we see. Here's what we estimate. So he's very, very knowledgeable. So it's almost like he's doing the work of three people. So he, he, he absolutely, um, you know, earns earns his keep and uh, and we're happy with the the uh, arrangement we have yep awesome and, and you know what i'm not familiar what's what do you mean by disposition i i mean you hear acquisition all the time but not dispositions so you know the the sales aspect of you know whatever properties you have under contract who's going to be talking with buyers who's going to be uh showing the houses there's all sorts of follow up that needs to be done so our team does the administrative stuff you know here from here in nashville and so we're able to do all that stuff, get everything out to the buyers, and then all of the follow-up from that point on goes to him. So he's going to have the uh, the phone calls with those people, setting up the the showings. Hey, I can't be here at this time. Can I come then? Or you know, all, all of that stuff. And then once the inspection is done, getting those offers, and then following up with them, and um, you know, ultimately you know, which, which direction we're going to go. We, he and I talk together, but you know, he's done all the work on that. So 
it's really a really good setup because he has all those relationships. And because of all the marketing we've done, we've sort of make him, we've made him the local authority over there in our market. And so, you know, we're, we're continuing to grow that every single day and really excited about where that's going. Okay. So you mentioned follow-up on these deals. Uh, do you have like a number in mind of how many follow-ups it takes to actually get a, a contract? I was referring to the the disposition side oh, okay. that, that follow up, but as far as the follow up goes, when we're when we reach a, a motivated seller, I mean, I would say if we do uh, if we get ten leads or ten appointments, we're probably going to close two of them, and then everything else we close after that. I mean, it's going to come from anywhere from touch two all the way to you know sometimes it takes us eight times ten times to actually get a deal. So you know we've got a follow up system that we use. We have a CRM. And, uh, you know, we're constantly texting people, we're emailing them, we're doing everything we can to follow up. And, you know, the funny thing is, you don't know which way, you know, people are going to are going to respond. And so, you know, integrating several different tactics has allowed us to be really, really successful. And, um, you know, that's that's where we get the majority of our business. It's not that first appointment. Hey, close a deal. It just doesn't happen that way for us. So our follow up system is is key. And that's how we get the deals. Yeah, I don't think it happens for most either. I mean, I think it's like uh, 80 to 90% of deals, sales in general, come from following up. So do you have all these leads coming from an abundance of different sources? Do you have kind of a main three that they're coming from? Yeah, so we've got, um, of course, we do direct mail. We do um, PPC, SEO, Facebook. We have some other some other lead channels we're exploring right now. We don't know how effective they are, but uh, we're also starting uh, texting right now, and then we're going to add cold calling. So we've kept a few things back to really focus on the channels that are working for us. And as they're working, and as we sort of have them, you know, really dialed in, we're adding more channels. So that's sort of what we're in the process of right now. Because you know, the leads. We're, I mean, we have a lot of leads coming in. We're getting a lot of phone calls. We're having a lot of success with the online, and now we're just trying to say, hey, how can we do more, you know, and, and add more deal flow and more volume. Was it a long learning curve for you for the paid ads for PPC and uh, Facebook ads? For Facebook, no. Uh, for Well, actually, for both, it wasn't a long learning curve. So when we started PPC, we did that back in 2018. Uh, we weren't really sure, you know, what the you know, what the success or the results were going to be, but we had a ton of success and that was here in Nashville, pretty competitive market. And, um, my business partner actually learned how to manage uh, PPC. And he went through one of those boot camps with uh, another real estate, uh, in- investor or another real estate, um, like a, a firm that focuses on PPC and he learned it. And we realized that we could be just as effective as they are and, and, you know, save on that management fee. So he's been managing that ever since, so, you know, we're, we're able to be really effective with that. Facebook, we just started having success, you know, right out of the gates. And uh, are you managing any of that? Or are your partner's managing all of the, the paid ads and, and, um, and lead generation then, right? No. So interestingly enough, uh, my partner only manages the PPC. But as far as SEO, we have a firm that, that, that takes care of that for us. And then Facebook, we have a different company that manages that. And then for direct mail, we do all that internally. So we've got a process that we follow and you know work with Mailhouse and all that. And, and, and we make sure that that's on autopilot. So um, I have um, sort of an admin slash transaction coordinator. And you know she stays on top of uh, our transactions and our lead gen. It's just like clockwork. Every week I tell her this has to be done. 
and we can't, you know, we can't miss it. So when I was managing that, it was sort of a mess because, you know, I would just take care of whatever I felt like was most important. Right. And, you know, with all the things going on in the business, it just, it got lost. So she, she manages that now and it goes out every single, every single week religiously. I know from my experience, building a team was just, it was a headache trying to come up with a system. So how long did it take you to put like a one team member in place into a system? Like, do you have any like tips about putting a team member in place? I know it took me probably two months, maybe more to actually get people trained or a system in place. We've also, in addition to, you know, wholesaling and flipping, you know, we, we got involved in, in land business too. Right. So that was really our first, that was really our first hire. And so we weren't sure how we were going to, to work with, um, you know, this, this VA. So she's based, uh, in Connecticut. We never have actually met other than over, you know, over Skype or phone or whatever. And so we got her involved in a little bit of the house business and a little bit of the land business. But as our land business took off, uh, we actually just said, Hey, listen, we really need you to focus on the land stuff. And so she was doing probably 90% you know, the work in the land business, which was great. And then my partner, he took on the other 10%, the, um, the mailings and, uh, you know, we, we do blind offers. So, you know, he would, uh, make sure that those were priced accordingly, make sure all those were, were out. He would focus on what areas, you know, we wanted to hit. And then, um, she would do the rest, all the follow-up taking calls, uh, when contracts came in. So she ended up being a really great, uh, add to our team. And then at that point we said, okay, you know, we've got that under control, you know, how do we really move, you know, the wholesaling business forward and bring someone else in who can take care of some of the admin stuff that would allow me to really focus on, on growing the business. So we ended up, you know, last, I guess, July, maybe, I think it was last July, we brought in another person and she works here with me in Nashville. And, you know, she's focused on initially the admin stuff, she had no real estate background at all. So I just said, hey, listen, I want to explain to you what our business looks like, the tasks that I want you to do. And she's just a really good fit. You know, I, I needed someone who can execute on the tasks, on the admin, on the follow-up, all of these things that for me personally, I didn't love to do. I wanted them outsourced. I needed them outsourced. So I started just giving her things and training her. So I spent a lot of time investing in her. And now she's gotten to the point where, you know, she has our lead gen. She manages all of our podio. She's doing follow-ups with attorneys and title companies, uh, getting contracts out. So, you know, in this, you know, I guess, I don't know how many months that, that is, maybe eight months or so, you know, she's gone from no experience to now. She's a really valuable asset to our team. And so for us, it was just making sure that it was the right fit. So, you know, I was looking for someone that their strength was in admin, their strength was in follow-up. I needed someone who could do that. And so I try to match the strengths of the individual to the position that we're looking to fill. So that's kind of how we've done that. And uh, so far, it's been good. How do you find that out when you're, you know, you're just looking for somebody? How do you figure that, okay, this person's going to be good for admin? Is it just from experience that they've had? Well, so interestingly enough, I had, um, you know, I spent about five and a half years um, working for a nonprofit and we were international. So we were in about 18 countries. And so I had to work with people on the ground in places like Haiti, Iraq, Cambodia, all over the place, right? And so some of those folks spoke English, some of them didn't. And so when you're working, you know, when you're working cross-culturally and, you know, you have language barriers among, you know, other things, cultural barriers and whatnot, you really realize how important it is to have the right people. You have to trust them. 
And then you also have to figure out how do we communicate, right? And so one of the things that I loved was figuring out, you know, what someone's strengths were. And so before we ever hired someone, we would actually have them go through StrengthsFinder, the StrengthsFinder 2.0, to find out what their strengths were. In addition to that, we wanted to to have them, you know, to find their their four letters. You know, are you an, uh, an ENFP? You know, what are you? What are so? What we did is, you know, I kind of went through and and just learned kind of the basics of that. Um, I figured out number one what my strengths were, and then you know everyone around me that was on my team or that we were bringing in, we were trying to match. Hey, what are your strengths? What's your personality type? And then do those fit with the position that we're looking to hire for? And so that's, that's sort of been my experience. And we built out a team of, I don't know, I think I had about 30 people working with me uh, cross-culturally. So I just sort of applied those techniques to to this business and and what are we looking for? Does their personality match up? And, um, you know, like I said, we've had a lot of success so far, but there's always going to be challenges, right? Because it's never going to be a perfect science, but it's 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 been working for us and it's allowed us to really grow our business and focus on, you know, running the business rather than me being involved in all the day to day stuff and putting out fires. What's your Myers-Briggs or uh, Briggs-Myers, whatever it is, the four letters, if, if you don't mind? I'm an ENFP, so I'm kind of a weird ENFP because they say all oh, those, you know, those folks are very entrepreneurial and they're very like, you know, scatterbrained and they're not organized. Well, so I am an ENFP, but I have a background in uh, accounting uh, and finance and in a weird way, I'm, I'm kind of an organized one. So I like to build systems. But what happens is because, you know, I like to, you know, I like to read, I'm a learner. So I, I try to get involved in everything. I want to understand everything. And so I just don't have time to do everything. And so what, what typically tends to happen is I'll start things and I will, you know, I'll try to get, you know, an Excel spreadsheet up to where it has all the different things that need to be done. And then it's great. I need to hand it off to somebody at that point. And so that's really been key because, you know, for this, the admin that we hired, in July, I was able to start things. I was able to set her up, but now I said, Hey, listen, this is what we're looking for. Now you manage it, you make it better. And so the entrepreneurial, you know, very kind of artsy fartsy pie in the sky, um, thinking about the big picture stuff. I have that, but I'm also down to the details. I just can't manage them long-term because eventually I'm just, I'm not going to do that well. And so finding someone who can then take that and make it better or expound upon that and manage it well, that's been, that's been critical for us. So, okay. So uh, going back to the, your, um, your deals, I want to ask about, you mentioned you're doing eight to 10 deals a year right now, right? And um, with all those avenues that, that, that you're bringing in leads, how many leads per month is that? Let me just clarify. So in our South Carolina market, you know, this year we'll do anywhere from 48 to 60 wholesale deals. That's 48 to 60. And then we'll do probably eight to 10 high margin flips where we just cherry pick the best deals. And then as far as in Tennessee, I'm not really focusing here, but we have some existing marketing that we have going. And so I anticipate we'll probably do anywhere from 10 to 20 um, wholesale deals in three markets in, in Tennessee, sort of in and around Nashville, Nashville, Chattanooga, and then, you know, the markets around around there. So so there's that side. And then we're also trying to grow our, our terms business as well. And then we're trying to also grow our, our multifamily. So we've, we've got a ton of stuff in the hopper right now which is really exciting, but you know, it's just, it's a lot of stuff going on. So, and your, your one acquisitions guy cycles through all those markets. 
So the acquisitions guy only focuses on South Carolina. So he'll take down, like I said, the four, probably the 48 to 60 deals, and then he'll manage those flips. Are these competitive marketplaces? Well, I mean, Nashville's competitive, but like I said, we're not focusing as much there. Um, the market in South Carolina is actually Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I mean, honestly, it's it's a market that I see really dominated by realtors. There are some wholesalers there, but it's just a it's a unique market because, you know, a lot of people up from New York, Pennsylvania, Michigan, from up north, they'll come down and, you know, they'll go golfing or, you know, go to the beach in the summer. So it's really popular as a tourist destination. And, you know, my parents live down there. They retired down there several years ago and I've been going down since I was a kid. So that's how I got you know introduced to it. And then it just so happened I, I met the right guy and we just said, hey, you know what, might as well take this market by storm and, and see what we can do. And so we've had a ton of success. We've we're, we're only going in. Let's see. We're, we're coming up on a year. We're 11 months in right now. And, um, you know, I'm really excited about where we're going. And why did you choose South Carolina? Mainly because, uh, you know, like I said, my my parents are down there. It was intended to be a secondary market. Um, we wanted to try virtual wholesaling and and see if we could, you know, have some success here. We were looking at potentially doing some Airbnbs and rentals. It took a while. We actually tried once and, you know, over probably four to six months, we didn't have a lot of success, but we didn't have the right boots on the ground. And then once we found that, all of a sudden everything changed. So we just ramped up our marketing efforts and, you know, it's been really, really good. Okay. So it wasn't any specific like research data points that you saw or something like that. It was just basically the circumstances of, of uh, kind of knew it already and, and found boots on the ground. Exactly. Uh, did you start with all these different exit strategies? We never really got into how you started. <laughs> no, not, not at all. I, I, so I started back in 2016 in the summer of 16. So I am not even four years into this and I thought I was going to do some wholesaling. So I got involved in Tom Curl's Wholesaling Inc. Awesome, awesome coaching program. But what happened was I actually found it hard. I made some bad decisions as far as the business went. I, I chose um, a really expensive SEO firm that cost me a lot of money. I should have went PPC, but I didn't know the difference. And so I only had money for one and um, was trying to do it on my own. And I was also working a full-time gig and was traveling a lot for work. And there's just a lot of things going on. And so I ended up finding it easier to start out flipping. So I was flipping houses in Nashville. My father-in-law is a contractor. So, I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know. And he, you know, bailed me out several times on some properties that I got into, but we, we made money and it kind of got me going. And then eventually I kind of figured out the wholesaling side of it. And then we started to transition more into wholesaling and having a lot of success there. And then, you know, we just, a lot of things were kind of going on in our business. My partner actually lives overseas. And so, you know, he and I had talked about, you know, eventually wanting to do rentals and eventually wanting to uh, do some land acquisitions and land flipping and then also multifamily. And so it just kind of weird because, you know, everyone has a different journey, right? Every investor goes about it a different way and some things you're successful with and some things you're not. And we just found that flipping at first was successful for us, but then we really wanted to, to be out of that. To me, it was adult daycare, having to have contractors every single day. Oh, sorry, my truck broke down. Uh, they don't answer their phone. So I just said, you know what, enough with this. You know, I want to really do more wholesaling. So we got that up and running. We got our land business going and, um, you know, we, we probably should have been better about really focusing on one thing. But, um, you know, we just found that for us, 
different opportunities presented presented themselves in different niches. And we're like, hey, listen, if there's an opportunity here, my personality is such, hey, I'm going to go figure it out. And so we did that. And it's taken us down several different rabbit trails, if you will. But what we've learned is, is we've been able to kind of figure this out. And now we're refocusing our business into the areas where we're finding the most success, where we can really operate a business instead of a one-off. Hey, let me interrupt you to tell you about the free video you can get called 40 Ways to Find a Deal. It's a presentation done by a local expert out here in Southern California. His name is Steven. He's a flipper. He was a hard money lender. He's now building tiny homes for landlords. He's been immersed in the real estate business. And he gave a presentation a couple years ago on 40 plus ways to find deals out here, especially in Southern California, which is a competitive market. It's things he's done, things that his acquisitions team has done. And you can get that for free at realestateaudios.com slash flipping. Depending on when you're listening to this, you also get some free bonus PDFs that I give away. And you'll be subscribed to my daily email newsletter where I talk about some principles of marketing, business, real estate, mindset, everything in between. So head on over to realestateaudios.com slash flipping to get those. For people who want to start wholesaling, do you ever recommend them to start rehabbing just to get an idea of what that looks like? I wouldn't, no. Um, I, I would say, so my, my thing is, you know, find a coach. Find someone that's doing what you want to do that's already successful doing it at a high level. Go and meet with them, uh, figure out how you can add value to them in their business, bring them a deal. Or if they have a, you know, a paid program, I mean, like I said, I, I paid for Wholesaling Inc., Tom Curl's program. I mean, it, it's, it was phenomenal because he wasn't focusing on knowing every little detail. He said, you're not going to know every detail. We're going to give you the basics. You're going to go out and you're going to meet with sellers. You're going to understand how the business works. We're going to give you an overview. You're going to go take action. And through that action, you're going to learn what works and what doesn't work. And we're going to provide some coaching along the way. And so I didn't know what I didn't know. I made so many mistakes, but I had that opportunity to kind of learn and figure out, okay, this isn't working for me. Then I'd ask, you know, the, the tribe, the wholesaling tribe and ask a lot of questions and other people were dealing with some of the same stuff. And, you know, just through that, you know, the, all the people in the group, I was able to figure out, Hey, here's what I'm doing wrong. And, you know, I really need to tweak it this way. Or, you know, Tom himself, you know, he, he's, he's always available for questions. So, you know, it was, we were able to, to really hone in on what we wanted to do. So I just recommend going that direction. Now, once you understand wholesale, if you want to do a couple flips here and there, or if flipping is ultimately where you want to go, that's great. If you can find the deals, I mean, if you're a flipper, you know, you have a couple different options. You could have a, you know, a business where you just have every wholesaler on town, uh, in the town and you're on their list and you're going and, and looking at deals and making offers. That's one way. It's a cheaper way. However, you're, you're going to be giving up a lot of spread, right? Because the wholesalers are getting some of that spread. And then if you're already a wholesaler and you're already finding deals, this is what I love about it is we now have access to, you know, houses at great prices where there's enough spread where if the deal works for us, we're going to cherry pick that deal and we're going to have our guys do it. So instead of trying to do two low, low margin houses, I mean, I know some investors where they may make like 10 or 15,000 and they're buying that deal. I would never touch that deal. I'm looking for spreads of 50 K plus and we're finding them. And so at that point, we're saying, hey, maybe we don't want to wholesale that one. We just want to buy it ourselves, let our crew keep them busy, you know, have a high margin deal. And then we take it down ourselves and, and do the work and then, you know, we sell it. But we do fewer of them 
with our own team. And I love that strategy because to me, that means we're not, we're not sucked into, you know, sucked away from wholesaling into flipping. We are now focused on our wholesaling business 100%. But when the right deal comes along, we do already have a crew again, because my guy in, in South Carolina who has that, where he can take those on, he manages all that work and, and his guys are very competent. So it's not taken away from the wholesaling business. It's adding to, which is a big difference. Maybe I understood that wrong. Is that your minimum assigning fee, 50K, or is that for the rehabbing? No, I'm, I'm just saying for the high margin stuff. I mean, will we take something where it's a it's a 40K rehab? Yeah, sure. If we can get in quickly and you know we're in and out of there in a couple of weeks, for sure. But our core business right now is wholesaling deals. So we're happy to give those deals away. I mean, we, we bought a house. Uh, this is a great example. We got one under contract for 15000 and it was a 4-3. And we put it out there thinking this is a smoking deal. The investors are going to eat this thing up. If people are going to love this, there's at least 50K profit here. And so we like to put out really good deals. We're, we're not, you know, we're not putting out junk. We're not trying to, you know, put out really, really tight margin stuff and, and, and keep all the margin ourselves. We're trying to really put out great value for the, for the rehabbers in our market. And nobody wanted it. And we thought maybe it's because it's, we're putting it out too cheap. I don't know what the reason was. Maybe our buyers list wasn't big enough. I'm not really sure. We haven't had this problem with any other house. So we ended up keeping the property ourselves. We're like, okay, we're just going to close on it. We'll do the work. And we ended up, um, we ended up working with a local bank um, because we just, you know, we, we, we paid the 15 K cash and then we had the bank, um, you know, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll give you the, the 50 K to do the work. And so they came out and did an appraisal. And their appraisal was, we think that, you know, when this thing's all said and done, you're going to be able to sell this thing for, you know, anywhere from like 140 up to like 180. Well, what's crazy is now we brought our realtor out because we had a couple questions. We said, hey, how would you position this house based on, you know, the way it's the way it's laid out? Would you reduce a bedroom and open, you know, provide more space, whatever? So we got his opinion. He said, no, this is what I would do. And it was actually the direction we were leaning toward. And he said, you don't understand. This is going to be a great deal for you. We're, we can we can probably sell this thing at 190, 190 to 199,000. And so here we are looking at a great deal that nobody else wanted. We paid 15k for it. We're going to put 50, 55 maybe. So we'll be all in for I don't know. Call it call it 75,000. And we're going to sell this thing. I don't know. Maybe 175, maybe 180, maybe 190. So those are the type of deals where it's like, hey, this is a smoking deal. And, you know, if we're going to put all our effort into a couple houses, you know, I don't want to do four low margin houses. I want to do one or two high margin that it really makes sense that we can put forth our best effort and our guys are really focused. And we're not driving all around town trying to manage too many projects at once, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, complete sense. Yeah, uh, You mentioned bringing that realtor in for some consulting on that deal. Do you work a lot with realtors? Yeah, all the time. I mean, so when we flip a house, we always list it on the MLS. So we don't usually buy, we don't buy anything on the MLS. I don't think I've ever bought any house that's been on the uh, listed on the MLS. Uh, I'm not opposed to it. We've made offers. It's just, it hasn't really been our strategy. It hasn't really worked for us. But, you know, when we do all the work, we want as many eyes on that property as possible. So, you know, we have a realtor that uh, in every market that we work with that, that does our listings for us. Are you putting any... Um any contracts? Uh, if, if you're planning on assigning the deal, do you put it up on the MLS too? Uh, we don't. Um, in fact, I don't know if you're allowed to do that in either of the states in Tennessee or South Carolina, because I think that's a state by state thing. Some states allow that and some don't. Um, 
I, we, I've just never had a need for that because I've always had, you know, once we started doing wholesaling well in Tennessee, we had a strong buyers list. So we were always able to move our properties. And then with South Carolina, aside from this one that I just gave you an example of that we flipping, we're flipping ourselves, you know, we've been able to move our properties. So we have not explored that avenue at all. And uh, how did you build your buyers list? Oh, great question. What are the main things we did? Uh, Craigslist postings. So what we would do is, uh, you know, Craigslist is still great for that. So we'll put out a link to our um, to our Podio page, essentially. So we just copy and paste a link from Podio that takes them to uh, that Podio form. We drop that into our Craigslist. So that's been really, really effective for us. Uh, we do paid ads on Google. We will try to you know get buyers that way. We'll put out a couple of properties. Um, not that we're wholesaling, but properties either that we've uh, flipped on our own or properties that we've already sold or you know something else. Maybe we closed on it and now we're listing it for sale or whatever. We'll put some of those out there. We'll do a little slideshow and uh, we'll do some some PPC and we'll do some Facebook ads. And we probably get anywhere from I don't know I would say ten to twenty buyer leads per week. So we've done that. And then, you know, you could always you could always switch buyer lists with other wholesalers in your market. We haven't had a lot of success doing that with in South Carolina in our market in Myrtle Beach. I mean, we don't know a lot of wholesalers. So we've had to build that basically from scratch. And so that's been a really, uh, a really big focus for us. And so, you know, we're trying to start a, a meetup group or a RIA group in, in Myrtle Beach, and we expect that that's going to help a lot and try to bring together what we think is kind of a fragmented market, you know, contractors, realtors, investors, wholesalers, everybody, and say, hey, how, how can we all help each other and add value? We don't need to all be competing or in our little silos. And so I think that's another opportunity that I think will allow us to build our buyers list as well. But those are, those are some of the main channels for us. Do you go by a rule of thumb for giving offers, formulas, or how do you go about that? We've tended to be really, really conservative. So our thought process is if we're putting a property under contract, I mean, a lot of, a lot of wholesalers get this wrong. And you know whether they know it or not, there's potential legal ramifications. You have to have intent, right? You can't just put properties under contract and then say, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to close on this or, hey, I couldn't find a buyer. And then you just back out. I mean, I know people that that's their strategy. And and if you do it too much or if you get reported, you can get in big trouble. And so the way we look at it is, you know, you have to have intent to purchase and the ability to purchase. So for us, if we put something under contract, you better believe we're going to close on it. Now, if we decide to go the the route of assigning the contract, then certainly we'll do that. Uh, if we can't find a buyer or it's just one of those properties that, that doesn't work for other investors, you know, we'll just take it down ourselves and do what we initially planned. Now, are there times where, you know, we've had to back out of a contract? I think I've had two instances where we backed out and uh, it was because of, you know, either a really, really weird situation where during the inspection, you know, the house just had major structural stuff where it didn't make sense anymore and we weren't going to be able to do anything at that price. So we we just said, hey, it's not going to work for us or, hey, you know, if you're willing to come down and the buyers or the sellers rather, they weren't. So, but for us, I mean, that's just our, we don't want to we don't want to be known as the guys that, you know, put properties in our contract and don't close. We want a reputa- reputation of, hey, if we say we're going to do something, we're going to go ahead and follow through on that. So our our contract to close ratio is very high. Um, you know, like I said, we just we just don't put properties in our contract and, and, and not close on them one way or another. 
I think that's the right way to do it too. Uh, too many guys are running around with the opposite mindset. And I think it hurts the the whole industry. So, um, I mean, you have you have now states now coming down that we can't assign anymore without a license. I, I guess that's that's kind of coming down the the pipeline. Or it's already happened in a, in a couple states. So, uh, how quickly are you selling off these contracts uh, when you're assigning them? We'll know within a matter of days. So for us, what we do is, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll put under contract. So let's see. So in the last two weeks, we've put four properties under contract and we uh, closed on one. So one of them was a terms deal. So we're now in the process of, of putting it out there and we're going to look for a tenant buyer. The other four that we put under contract, we are going to assign them. And, um, you know, we've got uh, inspection period, inspection time set up this week. So we've got one, uh, tomorrow, we've got one on Wednesday and we've got two on Friday. So we'll know within usually seven days of putting a property under contract, we'll get in there and, uh, you know, we will bring our own, our guys in there. I mean, my, my guy on the ground will look and he'll bring his guys for a sec- second set of eyes and a second opinion if he needs them. But then we'll also bring, bring folks in. We just have a, you know, a, a short walkthrough period where people can come in and those buyers, if they're interested, then they make their offer. So we'll know pretty quickly. And if we don't get anybody that wants to, to buy the property, then, you know, at that point we say, Hey, listen, we need to either, you know, we're closing with cash or we're using hard money or whatever our strategy is. We'll go ahead and we'll execute the, uh, on that. Um, but we tend to know anywhere from seven to usually 10 days at the latest. Going back to the cash offers, is there a, like a, a minimum, like, is there a formula you use rule of thumb on these cash offers you're giving out? Yeah, no, great question. So I think every market's a little different. So, um, and every investor's a little bit different. So, you know, there's some where, you know, we, we might start at a number of like, you know, 70% of ARV less repairs, right? And then there's other times where we might go as high as 75 or 80. It just depends. It depends on the area. So in each of these markets, there's going to be really, really hot areas where we know investors are willing to pay up to 80%. Maybe there's more spread. I mean, in a market like yours in California, you've got houses that are, you know, million dollars plus at 80 percent. There might be plenty of spread. Right. Whereas in, you know, let's say in Myrtle Beach, we might buy a property for fifty thousand dollars. Well, 80 percent isn't going to work. There's just not enough margin there. Right. So we, we are, are really looking at different areas within our market to figure out, OK, you know, if this is a high end area and, and it's a, a house that's, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars that we're putting under contract and, you know, ARVs, 800 or whatever, that's a different story. Right. So we might be willing to go up to 80 percent. But typically, as a rule, we're, we, we tend to be somewhere between 70 and 75. Right. Less repairs. And, and on funding these, uh, do you find it hard to come up with some capital? No, because we've got uh, we've got hard money lenders who are nationwide where, you know, we're able to, you know, close within. I mean, if we had to, we could probably close in 24 hours. Um, but realistically, you know, most of them, they say, hey, give us, you know, give us five to seven days. But if you're if you're in a pinch, then, you know, just let us know and, and we'll get it done. So, you know, we've we've worked with some lenders that, uh, you know, offer us good terms. And, um, you know, in a situation where there's no rush, maybe we've got 30 to 60 days, we work with a local bank and we just, you know, go through their process, which is a little bit longer, but, um, you know, you get better terms. So, you know, we've done everything from paying cash to bank financing to hard money. And we've even brought investors in on certain deals as well. So it's deal specific. So we look at everything, you know, what makes the most sense on this particular deal. And then we go from there and just execute. Was funding ever an issue when you first started? Yes, it was definitely. I mean, it was a big deal because uh, when we first started, 
again, we didn't really have those relationships with hard money lenders. And again, you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, I got into this and was like, well, how is this supposed to work? Uh, what, you know, what is, what does it look like for transactional funding for a double close? Do I need the double close? You know, what, what, what's the, what's the seller going to say when they see how much I make and then what's the buyer going to, so dealing with all those issues. But what, what I found is I've never actually ended up having to use transactional funding, believe it or not. We have either used a hard money lender, a local bank, or we've used our own cash, or we brought in some investors who are willing to, to, to put in some cash for us. So um, I kind of put those uh, double close fears aside and, uh, and just kind of said, hey, you know what? We've never had any issues with assigning a contract. If we have a good relationship with our buyer – they shouldn't care what we make on the deal, right? I mean, it, as long as the numbers work for them, in theory, you know, those are the people we want to work for and uh, work with. And so that's sort of the way that's that's been our approach. But if if there's a lot of margin in a deal, we tend to just say, hey, you know, we're just going to flip this ourselves because you know we've got the manpower to do it, and and it just makes sense for us. But but yeah, we did we did run into those challenges, and especially starting out, I was really really nervous, and you know, how is this going to work, and how am I going to close on this? And then it's just one step at a time. You know, you, you find a solution and then you move on to the next, you know, you move on to the next one. You're just like, okay, I found some money here and we found a hard money lender here. And, we, found, you know, so we've, we've just kind of made it work, but maybe it hasn't been quite the traditional path. But like I said, we started in, in flipping. So I, I was fortunate to be able to have to go and find some hard money lenders out of the get go. And so if we got ourselves into, you know, some sort of a jam as far as, you know, wholesaling property. And if we couldn't find a, a buyer, we had to close on it. We we have the ability to do that. And so, you know, fortunately, we've we've never really got ourselves into a major jam where we couldn't fund a deal and we had to back out of. So I'm, I'm happy to say that hopefully that never happens. All right. That ends part one. And check out part two with Jeremy, where he goes into further detail about lead generation, building his business, hiring and multifamily investing. So check that out in our Deals Today podcast. You can subscribe and please leave a review if you liked it. It really helps us find guys to interview and bring you good content. In the meantime, check out our website. You can find free articles, exclusive interviews there. And there's a free seminar there you can find by one of the most well-known flippers in Southern California. I have his seminar on 40 Ways to Find a Deal. You can check it out at realestateaudios.com slash flipping.